Welcome to the Radio 191 FM podcast. Ready, but right now on the line from the capital, I'm joined by DJ Christopher Tubbs. Morena to you. Morning, how are you? Not too bad, and yourself? Very good, very good. Nice, nice. Right, um, 25 plus years in the game. Heading to Otipoti tomorrow for the latest Let There Be House Club Night at Starters Bar. Now, is it true, um, Christopher, that the first record you ever bought as a kid was uh, Jean-Michel Jarre's Equinox? Yes, it is. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> at the same time as everyone's like listening to Funky Town or Captain and Tennille, you're... Uh, you're <laughs> You're playing, you know, you're a kid and you're getting that record. That's crazy. And, and you know, um, although that record did quite well. Um, and even, um, I think Equinox Part 4 was the opening theme to our world. So most New Zealanders would have heard at least one of those tracks. Yeah, that's right. I think um, <clears throat> for just from a really, really early age, electronic music, in my imagination, um, in a, in a non-genrefied, kind of just fascinated by the sound kind of way, I just I think I loved science fiction at the time, and mm-hmm. it would have been off the back of The Empire Strikes Back, and I'm sure that that sort of, um, the, just the alien nature of it kind of really appealed to me as much as anything else at that time. Yeah, but I mean, how do you even discover that? How do you even find that record? Was that um, played in your household discotheque? No, 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 no. Well, um, it, it, it all came from the Our World theme that you were just So, Oh, so about. it did come from the Our World theme. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, um, and then I just became obsessed with um, Jean-Michel Jarre. So, I um, I started buying all the really obscure ones, uh, like um, uh, Zoo Look, which is essentially kind of animal noises, mm-hmm. and sweeps, and Live in China, which was you know bemused my parents enormously. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, whilst, whilst my my sisters were sort of belting out the soundtrack Saturday Night Fever, yeah, there were kind of uh, electronic you know, giraffe farts coming from next door. So um, <laughs> it was it was, it, but it was once it once it started me on that um, elevator, it was very hard to get off. So kind of eighties um, uh, post punk synth pop. Yeah, um, stuff became kind of the next logical step, and so I got after that. I got very, very into talking here and mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. magazine and simple minds and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, a bit of French synth wave and stuff as well. A bit of what? French synth wave at the time, or well, there was a big scene. Uh, I'm trying to no, think. no, no, no. I didn't. I didn't just stay on the French thing. No, no fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. They were producing a lot of great music. Um, right, you started uh, on Radio One sister station, Radioactive in Wellington uh, in the early noughties. Um, You know, peak dance music years in Aotearoa. Uh, other than probably right now with with the the, the next wave of uh, drum and bass coming through and people are just going mental. Um, but back then, you know, there were some amazing clubs. Uh, and and some amazing New Zealand DJs, and uh, um, obviously um, um, the, what was happening over in London and Berlin and everything was huge. Uh, but, and people took it really seriously. You could make a you know a semi decent living from playing and touring at the time, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I was incredibly lucky because um, I hit a rich vein of um, of the of, of the scene um, literally from the first day I, I arrived in London. So. Um, I was at Heathrow Airport. Um, I went to the carousel to pick up my bags, and there were these guys milling around, waiting for their luggage, who all had Wall of Sound T-shirts on. Mm-hmm. Now, 
I don't know if you're old enough to remember Wall of Sound, but Wall of Sound was like this um, dance music label that was period between kind of 1994 and maybe 1999, like maybe maybe the hottest um, kind of alternative dance music label in the UK. Yeah. These guys were part of a band called Dirty Beatnik. Yeah. Also, uh, and they also had an offshoot called Rootless. And I was a massive fan, not only of Wall of Sound, but of them in particular. And so I went up and introduced myself to them, uh, kind of like, oh, good day, Christopher here, just got off a big bird. <laughs> and, um, and they, you know, they kind of humored me and, and, you know, were very, very pleasant. And then, unfortunately for them, they got stuck in the taxi queue with me. Oh, no. Yeah, so, so <laughs> I, I, of course, asked them for their phone numbers. Yeah. Um, to which I got kind of 0207 <laughs> from all of them and um, except for their manager gave me his real number yeah. and I just barraged him with voice um, until he submitted and called me down to his house in South London for a, for a beer and we hit it off and, and I, it all kind of stemmed from there really and before I knew it um, I was very lucky in that I was I started touring the Wall of Sound, got a uh, residency in Dusseldorf, mm-hmm. a residency in Freiburg in Germany, and uh, was, was, yeah, was, was having the time of my life, yeah. Just, you know, just on the right time, the right flight, uh, the right space in Heathrow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, well, it, helped, helped, it did help that I could DJ too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Um, but, you know, were, this guy from the Antipodes the other side of the world, they probably didn't even think people in New Zealand would even know what um, what Wall of Sound was. Well, no, that's right. That's, that's right, I think. Because it was, you know, pre-the um, internet in a meaningful way. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, you came from New Zealand. I mean, I, I went over there with um, Zane Lowe and Hamish Clark. Um, Great co-op. Yeah, and I, my original role between the three of us was to be the the, the manager, the band manager. <laughs> and I didn't know anything about the music business, but one of the things I did learn was that whenever we went into a record label's office, and um, I said I was from New Zealand, people go, "All oh, right, what's what's that like?" <laughs> <laughs> you know. So and, and you know they'd take the album and throw it on the pile behind them. Yeah. Um, and and there wasn't that. You know, I think I think. Fat Freddy's were the first to kind of benefit from that, the internationalization of, you know, that the internet brought. Because then in the mid-90s, it was really like, you know, if you if you weren't from the States or from Europe, you were, you know, you were more an oddity than anything else. Yeah, that's right, that's right. So, you know, that happens, you go to Germany, you do you do those things, you end up getting, getting signed to BMG. Uh, yeah. and, and, you know, you start your own label, which is um, totally acclaimed. You know, it's um, you know one of those special little boutique labels, um, um, untracked records, yeah. uh, and you know you're doing residencies, a fabric ministry of sounds. You did, I mean, it's massive, um, but still, you know, it's it's that funny thing in in Aotearoa where um, a lot of Kiwis in many fields, if it be it science, be it uh, music, be it mm-hmm. um, you know um, film. Um, a lot of things they'll go overseas and, and, and you'll make it in, in some way shape or form uh, at, at a really high level within your chosen field but still back at home we don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah right right yeah no I, I suppose so I mean that, that's 
that was the, always the, the funny thing about coming home was that you know um, I, I'd, I'd come I'd, I'd come through Singapore and I'd have some amazing gig at Zouk or something like that which was the biggest club in Asia at the time and it was, I'd be feeling sort of high you know off the experience and, and come back and, and it was like yeah we might be able to get you a couple of uh, <laughs> couple of dates down at the Matterhorn. Yeah, yeah. No, that should be all right. Um, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> and that was that that at the time of New Zealand, and also you know those people, the people that I was coming back to know me very well, and yeah. also you know there are so many fantastic performers here, so many so many great DJs, um, especially. Well, no, I won't say especially. There were some really, really great characters around at that time who weren't playing internationally, who you know definitely didn't deserve to get um, put in the shadow by some you know upstart coming back and looking flash, you know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there we go. Well, that's the thing, um, you know, and you know, you ended up pulling out Frank Booker, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, I, I'd known, um, you know, Chris Cox as is his real name. Yes. Um, he, I'd known him for many, many years um, before for that. And he's one of these guys um, who, obviously, aside from having amazing taste and being an amazing, you know, technically an amazing DJ with great, great crowd feel, he also, I just always, always felt that, you know, should he ever um, get in the studio... You know, I, I wanted to hear that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and um, so, yeah, that, that was that was it was great to give him his debut. That was that was a, um, a great honour. And also, I mean, I guess the other the other person that that really um, I, I always look back on with great pride is, is giving Red Rackham uh, mm-hmm. yeah. first releases. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, all of these, all of my kind of uh, you. UK contacts who who came out on the label really you know, the meeting the, the, the circumstances in which we met were always sort of bizarre or four <laughs> o'clock in the morning or by chance like in a restaurant that they were playing in at the time like Red actually if you've got time I'll just tell you about Red Rackham yeah it was a cracker I was I was on this Radio One tour and um, was saying low and we were in this sushi restaurant in Nottingham and I was sitting there eating and I was just thinking Jesus this music's amazing you know mm-hmm. and uh, and then we kind of spotted behind the bar in the corner of the sushi restaurant a DJ and uh, and, I, and, I, and Zane was talking to me and I just couldn't concentrate on anything he was saying and I was like sorry excuse me excuse me and I went off and, and uh, introduced myself to this guy and it was Danny Berman Red Rackham mm-hmm. and he was playing like these crazy Carl Craig B-sides and you know all the prescription records amazing sort of Ron Trent Deep House and just stuff you would not expect to find playing over a sound system in a Chinese in a yeah. Japanese restaurant <laughs> And um, and we just immediately connected then, and um, and sending, started sending each other records, and and, um, and and so so it became what it became. But yeah, yeah. Um, that that's kind of very typical, I think, of, of how these connections are made in a weird way. But you know, not every selector will turn out to be a great producer. But you you know, and you started your life out as a, as a selector and uh, went on to do things like Atlantic Conveyor and stuff like that. So, what yeah. made you? When did you get into the switch to become a producer? And you know, and how was that? How difficult was that? 
Um, well, what, I, I was um, very fortunate in that I, I, I met this guy called Ills, um, who was Ills and Solo, um, a drum and bass producer. He was on Mowax. Oh, yeah. And, um, he he and I headed off on a friendship level, and one night after a party, I ended up playing, you know, taking my ripple back, uh, ripple box back to his place and playing tunes until five a.m. kind of thing. And after listening to you know a bunch of records of my records, he was just like, hey, you know, we should make a we should make an EP kind of thing, hmm. and um, and so that's what we did, and that EP um, was my first first release and it was actually put out initially on like a speed garage label <laughs> really <laughs> and uh and then it got re-signed to carbon records and, and um then i got an album deal off the back of that yeah nice and you know are you still producing now i've just started producing again actually i'm yeah. just um doing a collaboration with eden burns ah um former radio yeah. one dj good, yeah that's good, right good to need and, um, who is uh, the fastest producer I've ever met in my entire life. <laughs> you know, he's, he works at Warp Speed. Yeah. Um, you know, he's been producing since he was 12. He lives at Warp Speed. Uh, and uh, he, you know, he's he, he's an astonishingly talented individual, probably one of the most talented producers I've ever met. Ever. Well, would you look at that? It comes from little old Mosgiel, just over the I know. Hill. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I remember him coming in and playing at Carousel, which is, I don't know if you've been there, but that's JD's club after Bath Street, uh, which was the big oh club in Dunedin, and he was 16, coming in and playing records, I think his parents were there. It was great. Good times. Right, wow. Yeah, yeah. no, he, he's played with me at my night in Wellington, Body Electric, and um, he has a, a very mature palette, put it that way, musically, yes. um, for his age. Um, but given his history, it's not surprising at all. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Um, brilliant. So, um, well, I'm glad you're producing again. That's great. Uh, and, and especially with a, a good old Dunedin lad uh, who um, I know and love very much. So uh, that's great. So, all right, so tomorrow night, um, Let There Be House, Bon Tempo, and yourself, plus um, a good chunk of great DJs from Dunedin, um, including Suge and Wheels. So what are we going to hear from you tomorrow night, Christopher? Um, I think uh, I will be going down the kind of psychedelic go route um, mm-hmm. nice. uh, with some, with some uh, very percussive tricky house um, along the way, but just definitely pretty dubbed out um, some pretty wild things that go down well at my night at the moment. Um, it seems my night started out at pretty kind of straight ahead for lyrics go house and techno night and it's kind of developed into this slightly sideways psychedelic thing yeah. <laughs> and um, which has become you know uh, really really popular here so I'm going to give it a whirl and, and to these and see what people make of it nice is, is reading the crowd and the crowd's reaction still important to you as a DJ definitely yeah definitely. Fo- you know, following I, I their lead be, um, I won't be thumbing my nose at that it will definitely be you know based on what I think the crowd is feeling but I'll definitely be throwing some nuggets in there just to see, you know, because that, that's the that's the the beauty of it, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you, you see, you talk to one person afterwards, um, and they just say, you know, you can see a light bulb gone off over their head. <laughs> God, what was that music even called? You know, <laughs> and and as long as there's a handful of those, yeah, um, it's worth 
throwing a, a couple of grenades into the mix along the way. Totally, totally. Nothing worse than when it doesn't work, though. That happens to me all the time. Uh, <laughs> I'm terrible for that. Oh, this is going to be great. They're going to love this. And they're like, oh, shit. Uh, anyway, anyway, well, we look forward to it. It's going to be a great night uh, for this great series of club nights that's been put on at the moment. Let there be house. Uh, DJ Christopher Tubbs, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, and I'm going to play one of your tracks now. Um, came back out in 2006, I believe, I think. Yeah. Open I'm Your right Soul, then. the Music Box Mix, uh, under your moniker, Atlantic Conveyor. Thank you once again for joining us this morning, and we'll see you tomorrow night at Starters Bar. Tickets from Eventbrite. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> a Radio 191 FM podcast. All of our content lives online at r1.co.nz.